Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles and open them with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you today, perhaps don't own a Bible even, would you grab one from under a seat close by in front of you? And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. Make it yours. Matthew chapter 18. We continue. Got about halfway through chapter 18 last week. As we study, continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew. Pick up with me, follow along in verse 15. Jesus speaking still to his disciples. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For, there, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Jesus, as I mentioned, this continues where we left off last week. There are no chapter breaks. There are no verses as Matthew recorded. Jesus did not stop where we stopped last week and then picked up again the following week. This is a continuation of what Jesus is speaking to them. When we look at Matthew 18, we need to look at it in its totality. Remember back at the beginning of, of Matthew 18, it said, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, that's where the, this, this entire discussion comes from. When we look at these verses as we're beginning today in verse 15, they directly tie to the parable that we looked at when we finished our study last week. The parable of the sheep that leaves, the hundred sheep that are together, the one that strays away, and the heart of the shepherd that would leave the other 99 in safekeeping and go and look for the one that is lost and rejoice when he finds the one that is lost. Again, seeing the heart of the shepherd. The goal of the shepherd is restoration, to bring that one back, that one sheep. And this one that we are talking of here, if your brother sins, again, as we've spoken last week, we are all children of God. This, if your brother, that brother or sister Jesus referring to here, is one of those little ones we've spoken of last week. A little one who perhaps was led to stumble or as the parable speaks of, the, the sheep that went astray. It's important when we look at this and again begin to unpack these verses that we've looked at here that we need to understand, first of all, one thing. What is sin and what is not sin? What is sin? Who defines sin? God does, right? In his word, it tells us that. It's, it's, it's amazing what happens when man gets a hold of that, however, it's amazing the two things that happen when we start talking about sin. Man redefines sin 
based on his own personal preferences. And we see that all around us today. What God calls sin, man says, oh, we need to be tolerant of that. You know, we've, we have come along, that was a long time ago. We've evolved as a people. We've evolved as this. And certainly God has evolved with us. And so those things that were sin back then certainly are not today and changing it that way. But there's also another aspect to that, where man taking God's unchangeable word, God does not change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, taking that the other direction too, taking things that God never said is sin, and we make it sin to us. What do I mean by that? Well, when we look at verse 15, if your brother sins, and by the way, if you have a King James Version, or a New King James Version, you will note that the word says, if your brother sins against you. Those words against you are not in all of the original manuscripts, and many of the oldest manuscripts do not contain those words against you. Now, it fixed contextually, as we will see later on, but when we look at that, we focus in on those two words, against you. So if it, somebody's sinning against me, that means I define what that sin is. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. Your brother sinning against you does not mean that they hurt your feelings does not mean that they didn't live up to your expectations. Now I know we all struggle with this, or maybe I'm the only one, <laughs> that, that we come face to face with the reality that we are not the center of everyone else's universe, and that crushes us, right? That, that when, when something happens and somebody would have the audacity to walk past us and not say hi, I mean, you mean they had something else to do? And the hurt feelings that come from that? Now, I make light of that, but how often does that happen? Where somebody didn't respond the way we thought they should have responded, and we immediately take offense. That's not what Jesus is talking of here. And he's not even talking of when we take it to another level where somebody actually does hurt us. This is not a command. Jesus is not giving us a command to deal with every problem and every issue that we might have with one another with Matthew 18. I hear this a lot. And maybe you've heard this a lot. Maybe you've done this. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Have you ever heard anybody just throw that out there? Matthew 18. Kind of like a referee with a yellow flag. Whoosh. Matthew 18. You know, you, you did that, you did that, Matthew 18, we got we to go there, we got to deal with it this way. It's not how Jesus is speaking here. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us how we're to deal with issues when others hurt us, when others treat us unfairly. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, speaking to us as believers, so as those who have been chosen of God, Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. That is how we're supposed to deal when somebody comes against us, when somebody hurts us personally, we're to forgive. That is to be what we are to do. It, not only forgive, but we're not supposed to bring it up anymore. It's unfortunate that one of the best illustrations we have of this in the Bible is from godless Esau. 
who after years of being separated from his brother, when they are finally reconciled, he doesn't say, now listen up, Jake, we got some stuff that we got to work out. You know that blessing that you stole from me? We got to walk through that before you and I can move forward. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't say a word. It's totally in the past. He embraces his brother Jacob. Even when Jacob tries to start hemming and hawing, say, oh, here, take some of this. He's like, dude, I'm totally blessed. Keep your stuff. I'm just glad that we have this relationship restored. Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness in patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are to be diligent about unity and peace. Forgiving one another. Bottom line, when someone hurts us, we have two options as Christians and two options only. One is to completely forget the matter. Forgive, forget, move on, move forward. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. If there's, if there's something that must be addressed because it's a deeper issue of personal hurt that involves ongoing sin, then Jesus outlines for us in verses 15 through 17 what we are to do. We're going to look at that, but let me just cover first of all what is not an option for Christians. Bitterness, gossip, avoidance at all costs. So let's deal with it that way. I'll just avoid them. They come to first service, I'll go to second. I'll go Saturday night just to make sure that they sleep in. It's not how we do it. Playing the martyr. That is not an option. You either forgive, forget, move on, or we deal with it this way. And again, we must understand that this is, if it goes beyond something that just somebody maybe said or did, if there's ongoing sin involved that will affect that person, if they continue on in this sinful choice, this sinful lifestyle, it affects them, or that it could f affect the unity of the church, that it could harm and affect others. Then Jesus gives us an outline as to what we are to do. And he starts out in verse 15. Go and show him his fault in private. Go. Go to that person. Do not pass go. Go. The first step is not to call a bunch of people that you know and say, hey, pray about this because i got to go talk to so-and-so about such and such and such and such. That, not step one. As a matter of fact, that's not in any of the steps by the way. Step one, you go to that person one-on-one, mano-a-mano, and you talk to them about the problem. You might find out that they didn't even know that they hurt you. I know that's hard to believe because, again, we're the center of the universe. <laughs> How could they not know that they hurt me? It's very possible that it's just simply an exchange and so, oh my oh my goodness, I had no idea that I... Will you forgive me for that? Jesus said, you've gained a brother if he hears. That's an important thing too. It does not say if he agrees with you. It does not say that if he falls down at your feet and begs for forgiveness, 
He's saying it's if he's enough to hear. And again, when we're talking, when speaking of, of, of sin in this, that now that person hears, and then if, if, there, if there's an unwillingness then to move on from it, here's where the decision point comes in. Again, is this a personal affront? Because if it is, we've already discussed the option. There's one, we forgive. But if it's something that will involve ongoing sin in this person's life, or where it would affect somebody else, then we move on to step two in verse 16. And we must move on to step two if it is a matter of ongoing sin in somebody's life. Verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, if he will not hear, if he will not turn from the sin direction that he is going, take with you one or two with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. Again, take one or two with you. So there's just a couple of you now, again, individually going to the person. Again, this is hugely important. Even now when we go and we get one or two others to go with us, it is still a private matter. Step two does not involve Facebook. (laughs) Or any other social media. It is a private thing still. Witnesses, one or two spiritual, godly people, not one or two that you know are going to agree with you. Galatians 6, 1, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Coming alongside that person who is in sin, coming alongside with a spirit of gentleness, again understanding the goal is restoration. The goal is to bring the person back into an understanding that they are headed down a path of destruction, that there is sin involved here, that it will hurt them or hurt others, coming alongside them. And if we're all in agreement then in this position and the person still stands stubbornly Step three, if he refuses to listen to them, verse 17, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Thirdly, if this does not work, you go to the church, to church leadership. With the issue, again, the the two or three of you that are in agreement, you've already met with the person, then you come to the church leaders. Unfortunately, step three, most of the time is step one. Go right to the pastor. Somebody hurt me, call the pastor. (laughs) This should be a rare thing when it happens like this. And if they still won't listen when leadership within the church gets involved, Jesus says something that's hard to to grab a hold of, but it's necessary. He said that person should then be put out of the church. And again, understanding his heart of the good shepherd is the always for restoration. It's not for condemnation. Again, we're speaking of a brother or sister here. And as Paul wrote when he was talking to the church in Corinth, there was a man who was living in gross immorality and it was allowed to go on within the church. And Paul says, you can't do that. As a matter of fact, we need to turn him out because he would not repent. And he said, I turned him over to Satan so that his flesh would be destroyed, but so that his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 
We have only had to, to my knowledge, in the 10 years of this church, two or three times instances where we have had to basically put someone out of the church because of their unwillingness to repent of, of active lifestyle of sin in their life. And praise the Lord, everyone that we've done that with has come back. Repentant, broken. Jesus outlines the steps of dealing with that. Verse 18, truly, he says, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall, be, shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Now we... We look at these three verses, and collectively or individually, three of the most misused, misunderstood verses, taken completely out of context and plugged in because they just sound really good, sound really super spiritual. And they are when we look at them in context. And what Jesus is saying, the amazing thing that Jesus is telling us here, first we need to understand what it's not saying. It, it, the, 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 it's not saying that God is up in heaven waiting for a command from us as to what to do. Are we going to bind this or are we going to loose this? Well, let's tell God because he, he's, he's waiting. He's on hold. No, literally the verse says what you bind on earth will already have been bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will already have been loosed in heaven. How does that work? How, do, how, how, does that, how does that fit together with us being involved in the process? Well, let me ask a question. Did Jesus bind and loose things here on earth? When he, when he walked among us? Well, yes. Specifically, one instance in Matthew 9, we saw it. Jesus said, but so that you will know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He said, so that you'll know, every one of you will know that, the, that I have the authority to forgive sins. So obviously he had that authority, that ability to, to loose things. But John records for us in numerous instances in his gospel that Jesus said that he does nothing, zero, of its own accord. That everything he does, he either sees or hears the Father doing. So how does that tie in with us? beautifully as we look at these verses. It says that, that whatever we bind or loose is bound in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three of you agree about anything that you may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. That word agree does not mean that we just come in and that we again decide on something and then we just let God know because he's obligated now to do whatever it is that we say we're going to do. That word is harmonized. It's where we get, the Greek word there is where we get our word symphony. And again, when we line this up with what we spoke of about Jesus, we get to join in that partnership with God. Jesus prayed for that, that you and I as believers would be able to enjoy that unity that he enjoyed with the Father, that we are brought into that very relationship. And he, by the way, a symphony does not work if we all get to pick our own music and instruments and tempo. It doesn't work. We follow him. 
As Jesus said, he does nothing of his own accord, only what the Father says and does. We the same. But we're drawn into this amazing, holy situation when we harmonize with one another and with the Father. When we join in that symphony. And again, it only happens when we put down our own agendas and we seek him together. This is the confidence, John writes, which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests with which we have asked from him. We have them. We join together to seek God's will for his church, how we are to deal with his people. Remember, again, this is all about what Jesus is speaking of throughout the whole text in Matthew 18. Many people point to these verses and say, where two or three of you agree, it's only for church discipline. That's limiting it too much. To say it's broad to whatever we agree on, God's bound, that's opening it up too much. He's clearly speaking of, going back to the verse 1 in chapter 18, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is not somewhere, someday, out there. The kingdom of heaven is here, today, his church, and how we function together. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. People, don't misunderstand that. Jesus isn't saying you need two or three of you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you and forsake you. You are in your war room at home, your prayer closet. He is right there with you. He's with you wherever you go. He will never leave you. But there's something special. There's something special, a presence that, that, that we have intimate communion with the Spirit of God in our spirit when we gather together in his name, literally into his name, to seek again his will, to have his heart for one another. Glorious. When we understand what Jesus is saying here and the, the, the relationship that we are invited in, the, the process that we are allowed to be a part of as his children. Specifically, again, in these verses, tying it together, the, the process, the involvement that we have in going out to get that one that has gone astray. And the responsibility that we have in that process. Now as we continue, we, we look at verse 21, and Peter, God bless him, he, he says the things that we all, you know, we all kind of chuckle at, we look at later, but we all know that we'd, if we were there, we'd want to say it. We'd want to know the answer. And whether Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, or just said, if your brother sins and goes on from there, Peter does what we all do in our flesh. Okay, yeah, but let's get back to talking about the important thing, Jesus, me. What if, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? tells us, verse 21, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Understand, at the time, the rabbis taught that you should forgive somebody for offending you three times, kind of like three strikes and you're out. So 
Peter saying this, he's probably thinking, man, I am like being super spiritual here. Seven times, Lord? And no doubt he was probably waiting for Jesus to say, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for, for flesh did not reveal this to you, but that came from the Father in heaven. Probably waiting for another mark on the board up there. But instead, Jesus said, no, not seven times, Peter. Seventy times seven. Okay, who's doing the math? <laughs> I want to ask for a show of hands, and for those of you who haven't done it yet, it's 490, just, just in case you're wondering. But Jesus isn't saying when you get to 491, you're good. The whole point is we are to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. It was ne- the, the absurdity of, of that number of trying to keep track of, okay, where am I? 13, carry the ones. A lifestyle of forgiveness. Jesus, underscoring the point in verse 23, tells another parable, and we see, again, it's a kingdom parable. Drawing back, if you remember, to chapter 13, Jesus gave us many kingdom parables. We talked through that, studying through the chapter. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and here we have another one. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who had owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. The Lord said to this, or the Lord The Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, the Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And Jesus, here in a parable, the disciples asked him back in chapter 13 why he spoke in parables. And he said that it is because it is truth that is revealed to those who have ears willing to hear. He said over and over, if you have ears to hear, use them. Hear what is being said. Not just the physical, but the spiritual, the points that are being made. Parables are earthly events or illustrations that point out a a heavenly truth. And Jesus again here, using a parable, something that they could relate to, to reveal a truth about the kingdom of heaven. And again, reminding the kingdom of heaven is right here, right now, how we deal with one another. 
I believe there are two major points here within this parable that Jesus is saying. First of all, we need to see that there's an unbelievably wealthy king and an unimaginably indebted slave. He's using the phrases here, or the, the, the coinage of the time, talents, denarii, we don't know how that all works, so let me explain it to you. Denarii was a day's wage, what the average person would earn on an average day work. So that is what a denarii is. Now, it took 6,000 denarii to make a talent, and this slave owed 10,000 talents. Now, I know you can't probably, some of you maybe, maybe can do that math in your head real quick. I did it for you. That is 164,000 years worth of labor without weekends off, <laughs> without holidays. And again, Jesus' point isn't to figure that out and to do all the math. The point is it's an unpayable debt. This slave could never pay that debt off, no matter what he did, no matter how much he tried to work. He could never pay that debt off. Notice that he does not argue with the king that the debt is owed. He doesn't argue one bit that that debt exists. And he also doesn't argue the punishment for the debt that is owed. Because he can't repay it, he said this is what needs to take place. He doesn't argue that either. What does he do? He simply begs for mercy. Mercy is do not give me what I deserve. And it was granted. He completely canceled the debt. That slave walked out that day owing nothing. He didn't say, I'll pay off most of it, just enough for that the rest of your life you are still indebted to me. You had to pay off the rest. Completely paid off. Debt completely canceled. So what does that have to do with us? Well, Colossians chapter 2 says, Beginning in verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, all of us, every one of us, owe a sin debt that we cannot pay. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned against a holy, righteous, and perfect God. One sin, because of his holiness, one sin would be enough to keep us eternally away from him. Anybody guilty of more than one? And we can't repay it. The debt is the wages of sin is death, eternal death, separated from the love of God, facing the wrath of God for eternity. That debt we can never pay. We can never buy our way out of that. We can't argue it. He is Creator God. He is Almighty God. We can't argue the, the penalty for it. The wages of sin is death. He, set, he makes the rules. He's the king. 
We all owe a debt we can't pay. Because of that, God himself, Jesus, stepped off his throne in heaven, came down, became one of us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he died on the cross for us to pay a debt he didn't owe, to pay a debt we owed. And because he is the perfect lamb of God, the spotless lamb of God that suffered and died in our place, that sin debt is canceled. Having nailed it to the cross, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible speaks of the wrath that is due us and it gives a comparison of a cup. The cup of wrath that we all must drink. It is all ours to drink. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, said, Lord, if there's any way, Father, that this cup could pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. And there was no other way. So he drank it all. Drank it down to the dregs. The wrath do you and I. Praise God that he made a way. Jesus is the way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way of mercy. Not getting what we deserve because he took it. That's the first lesson. The second lesson in this parable is those of us who have received that free gift, we have accepted the pardon of all of our sin. We have one, one option when someone sins against us, and that is to forgive. It's important that we understand the debt that the other slave owed this slave. It wasn't nothing. It was a hundred. It was a hundred denarii. It was a hundred days' wages. It wasn't nothing. It was a significant thing. But in comparison, <laughs> we've all been forgiven much. We all need to forgive. And how do we do that? What does it look like? What is, what is our forgiveness compared to how are we supposed to forgive in comparison to how God forgave us? Well, Paul again, Ephesians chapter 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. <laughs> We're supposed to forgive the way we've been forgiven. The same way that God has forgiven us. How has God forgiven you? We've covered that. Has he forgiven you completely? Totally? Absolutely? That is how we are for, to forgive. Does he remind you of your sin? Does he bring it up from time to time? No. That's the enemy bringing up sin, your past. Bible tells us that Again, covered by the blood of Jesus, that sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. Those two never meet. Is that how you forgive? You ever bring it up to the other person? And oh, we don't have to use words, do we? To remind someone of how they've offended us. Oh, I've forgiven, maybe you say, but I, I just can't forget I understand, but we're supposed to. 
Paul writes again, Philippians chapter 3, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind I got to tell you something that, I mean, miraculous. God does, God does miracles. He still does. Last night, after, after the message, we have our fellowship time, as you're probably aware. If you've ever been here on Saturday night, we have food and fellowship afterwards. And I was talking to a man after the service last night. And he said that um, there was something that happened at one time in his life. Somebody had have hurt him so deeply, he swore he would never forgive them. He said, something weird happened last night during the service. He said, all of a sudden, I can't even remember who that person is. And I don't remember what it was. It's gone. Now, I'm not telling you that's going to (laughs) happen. That's a miracle, praise God. It's not going to be that, for the most part, that we're going to forget those things in our mind, like our memory will be erased. What Paul is speaking of here, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead means that hurt will not affect me as I move forward. It will not affect the way that I walk alongside this brother or sister. Now when we forgive that way, does that open us up to be hurt again? Yes. Does it leave us absolutely vulnerable To be run over again. Yes. And if it does, what are we to do? Forgive. How many times? No. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) It's a lifestyle. I know what you're thinking. All of us are thinking it. I can't do that. I can't, I, I've tried. I can't. That's the enemy right now lying to you. Let me ask you a question. Is it God's will that we do this? Well, let me read it again. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests with which we, are, we have asked from him. We are a new creation in Christ. And we need to move forward. And if we're struggling, if you're here today and you are struggling with forgiving somebody and leaving it behind, you've even maybe said, I have forgiven them, but I can't get over it. Then you haven't forgiven them the way God has forgiven you. And we need to deal with that today. And if that is you, we need to do what just we're told to do right here. We need to pray. We need to diligently pray, and then when we're done, we need to walk out of here in faith that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. We need to step out in faith and live, again, as though that never happened, trusting in him. Paul tells us a mystery 
that has been revealed to us and in us as believers. Christ in us, the hope of glory. As a believer, Christ is in you. The one who said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, as they nailed him to the cross, lives in you. And again, not that the hurt isn't real. Not that the hurt isn't real big. But in comparison to what we've been forgiven? Peter tells us, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. That love on the cross, the blood that was poured out for us, covers all sin. Their sin, your sin, John 3.16, we said already, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, will have eternal life. That's what John 3.16 says. 1 John 3.16 speaks of how that love that has been given and poured out for us needs to be walked out in our lives. We know love by this, John writes, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We need to lay our lives down for one another. We need to be willing to take a bullet for one another. And we need to be willing to take a bullet from one another. I know the second is a lot harder at times. But again, by the power of God, that's how we shine. Do you realize the benefit that you get <laughs> when we forgive? It's like we think that I'm not going to let them off that easy just to forgive and forget. You're not letting them off. They've already been let off. Jesus died for that sin. You're the one held hostage. I've heard it said, bitterness is drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. That's it. You want to be released from that today? Let it go. Let it go. Let's pray.